Episode 37, Captain Stanley Perry, Tank Commander. This is the Fighting Through Podcast. Great unpublished history. Hello again, I'm Paul Cheel and this is part two of the Stan Perry interview. If you haven't heard part one, I recommend you catch up with it in episode 36 before listening to this episode 37. At the end of part one, we left Stan nursing wounds from being blown up before being ordered to return to active duty. I'm going to start you off with a brief reminder of where Stan got to in his story. I've been sent to a holding depot to go out with one beggaring about um, doing nothing and uh, Stanley sent a message the return of this officer to his regiment is uh, requested at the earliest possible opportunity yeah. and he crossed our request <laughs> and put demand <laughs> so uh, I went back uh, late December and I caught up with the regiment. They were at Shinnan. I'm not sure they were at Shinnan or Shimmet. They're right. two Dutch towns very close together. Yeah. Um, and they they had a lot of time in Shinnan. Is it? Oh, no, sorry, yeah. Okay. S-C-H-I-N-N-E-N. Yeah. One of them was a mining town, but I caught up with them there. At this point, you were a married man. This I, I, yeah. I got married, yes, yes. Yeah. before okay. I left. Yeah. Married before I left. Yeah. And uh, that was rather fun. Had a week's um, embarkation leave. Oh, <laughs> lovely. And, uh, well, we, uh, the weather was bloody awful. It was snowy and icy. And we had to paint names on our tanks. Mm-hmm. Um... For preference, classical names. For preference, beginning with the squadron letter. So A is and A is B squadron B. Uh, I called mine Caligula in the end. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, was that a Roman emperor? This was uh, the the great thing was George Dring. You see, yeah. I told you about George Dring, name M and Bar. Yes. George said to his gunner, we'll have Achilles. Get that painted on the bloody tank. Right. So when he looked, the gunner had painted A-K-I-L-L-A. Killer. He didn't know the difference. And George, George was a bit of a friend, you see. And he thought I was a friend of a colonel, I don't know why. But uh, he, he, he said to me, he said, I'm in the shit bike. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, look what I've got on my bloody tank. The old man will go mad. So uh, he said, have a word for me, will you? So I, I saw the colonel and I said to Stanley, George Shring is not in my squadron, but he's got a killer painted on his tank. A-K-I-L-L-A. I love it, said Stanley. I love it, he said. I love it. Typical George. Typical bloody George. Tell him to leave it. <laughs> because of the, the connotation. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, <laughs> in about ten, ten years ago or so, the what was the RAF Museum in Cambridgeshire, um, Dutchford was taken over by the um, Ministry of Information or War Ministry or something and changed from being simply an air museum to being a war museum. Yes. And uh, a member of the Sherwood Rangers had bought a Sherman tank. Right. And he uh, gave it on permanent loan to Dutchford on condition that they named it a killer. God. And put George's, put the Sherwood Rangers yeah. and the 8th Armoured Brigade logos on it. I went to Duxford uh, just a few <laughs> weeks ago. So, so is that tank still there, do you think? 
I don't know. I haven't been down yeah. for a few years now. They've got a really big display of tanks. Yes, I, I saw my certainly still yeah. there. Oh, wow. But um, luckily, George then had developed prostate, prostate cancer. cancer. Yeah. And was very down. But luckily, I was able to take... Well, I didn't drive... Um, my son, son, son or daughter drove me down, I can't remember which. We got driven down anyway to Duxford yeah. and took George. So we had pictures of George with his tank. With his tank, oh, brilliant. And uh, that's a, a, a lasting memory. Yeah, superb. And uh, it was only a year or so later that George died. We had a little luncheon club, which was George during myself, called Henry Simons and a chap called Broly Chapel, who were all quite local to Grimsby. Yeah. Um, George lived in, in Grimsby mm-hmm. and Henry lives in Thorsby and um, Rowley was in a place called Laceby, which is virtually a suburb of Grimsby. Right. So we had a little luncheon club we used to meet every couple of months, the four old Sherwood Rangers and swing the lamp. <laughs> oh, excellent. And uh, sadly George died uh, from his prostate care. He went into his bloodstream. And, yeah. Uh, I was visiting him. He went into a home and then I was visiting him every day. But he was um, such a superb character. Wonderful advertisement for the yeomanry. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm still in touch with Henry. Ring him now and again. I rang him last week. Yeah. Who, who's Henry? Henry, S- Henry Simons was uh, one time Stanley Christopherson's driver. Okay. Uh, there was a show of range, of course. And, yeah. Uh, he was at one time Stanley Christopherson's driver. In uh, Normandy, right. um, and Rowley Chapel was a uh, large corporal in the um, in the regiment. Yes, uh, he was in my squadron and C squadron. And um, I was just the four of us managed to being on show with yeah. just managed to get together. Oh, and, fantastic! And used to meet yeah. quite regularly. We we had to give up. I gave up driving. Henry and his brother lived together in. Forsby and um, they can't drive so we've had to give up our luncheon but I do keep yeah. in touch with yeah. Laura uh, Chapel died um, and uh, so there's just Henry and me left yeah. locally now oh where's your headquarters or the people who coordinate Nottingham veteran activity yeah, is we, it Nottingham is it All right. Well, they, we, have, we are the Nottingham Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry in okay. full title. And uh, we have a Territorial Army Squadron at the Drill Hall in Nottingham. Today. And we have a um, Sherwood Rangers Old Comrades Association. Right. Of which five of us still left from Second World War, the rest are TA following. We've had something like a hundred of our TA chaps have um, actually served in Afghanistan. Right. Would you believe? Wow. Wonderful people. We have an annual dinner, which we get perhaps 80 to 100, and they all treat me like royalty. Yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, well, I bet they do. Uh, You're top of the tree, really, aren't you? At the end of yeah. September, last Saturday in September, anyway, we're... Uh, Unveiling a memorial in the Arboretum at uh, uh, Orowan. I did you know the Arboretum? It's a war memorial, isn't it? It's full of war memorials. Yes. Thousands of them, hundreds yes. of them. Well, we're we're establishing a Sherwood Rangers memorial. Okay. I've right. been invited. Been invited to jest of honour. Oh, excellent. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is rather nice. You didn't go into didn't Paris, go to Paris, no. no. We, we, did you have any in, involvement in the Falaise fighting? Not that I recall directly. No. Um, okay. No. 
Um, I mean, where, where did you end up when you when the war finished? Did I you... went back to uh, I joined, rejoined the regiment. At, well, the fighting in France stopped um, when I got shot. When you got shot, okay. And then, but I went back to the regiment. Right. And uh, I was involved. Um, uh, I think it was called Hoston or Horton and Thurston. Right. Uh, they're on the way to Heinsberg in Germany. That was a um, very difficult time. Uh, everything was iced up and uh, we fought our way towards Heinsberg and uh, we were lagered up and mortared. And the Sergeant Taubman was then my sergeant. Uh, had a mortar bomb landed on the top of his tank. Wow. And he was standing up because we were in Lager and uh, standing up and it, uh, it killed killed him. Oh. And then uh, my squadron commander had gone on UK leave and his substitute was rather nervous sort of chap. Yeah. Had called what he called an O-group. Orders. Uh, an order group. Yeah. Um, which meant the tank commanders in the squadron had to go back and have a discussion with him. Yes. And all he really wanted to know was, did we know what we were doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on my way back to my tank. Jolly good, uh, carry on, Japs. <laughs> I, I heard this, mm, boom, and I thought, Bloody naval verfa, which is a five-barrel mortar. Morning mini. Fun. Morning mini. Isn't that what they were called? Morning mini. Yeah. Yes. And um, oh, it's bloody nuisance. Mm, boom. And where did it? Where was it hitting? Where did it hit? Oh, about hundred yards away. Oh, right. Sixty or eighty yards away, something. Like um, yeah. So I kept on going back to my tank. Second one, a bit closer. Mm, boom, the third one. Christ, oh, it's getting bloody close. I better get my head down. I was diving for cover on the fourth one game and shattered me with... Uh, I was diving for cover. I got spattered with uh, uh, shrapnel. And, uh, and that put me out for the rest of the fighting war. I was on my way to... Uh, well, I was actually over the German border on the way into Germany. Are the Sherwood Rangers um, reconnaissance troop? Yeah. Were the first troops to cross the German border? Got a photograph of the uh, commander of the reconnaissance troop shaking hands with an American oh. reconnaissance troop oh, across gosh. across the bar. <laughs> oh, brilliant! It's quite funny. And you've got a photograph of it. Yeah, I've got a photograph of it, yeah. Um, I'd like to see that later if we get a chance. Or I'll tell you what, it's in um, it's in T.M. Lindsay's History of the Sherwood Rangers. All right, okay. It's actually in that book. I get mentioned a couple of times. Yeah, I bet. Um, uh, so that ended my fighting war. So that was the morning mini that yeah. you got hit by. Yes. Right. Whereabouts in Germany was that, did you say? I know you said the... Going towards Heinsberg is Heinsberg. probably the most recognisable. Right. In fact, Heinsberg was very heavily defended and we were fighting quite hard. Yeah, okay. But I shouldn't have been out of my tank and I uh, yes, you should regret have been. that. Yeah. That was a mistake I made. So you can obviously, obviously feel fairly secure in your tank at times. Uh, yes. There were other well, times was, when... Um, as, as long as you didn't have your head and shoulders sticking out, yeah, uh, more you were pretty safe from mortar bombs. Yeah, they just bounced off. Right, and you were safe from machine gun fire. Yeah, and uh, you weren't necessarily safe from snipers. Yeah, but uh, fairly safe. What did it feel like when you got wounded by the the morning mini? I was blotted out. I, right. um, I imagined myself diving through 
a window yeah. to get undercover. But whether I actually did or not, I don't know. But I was unconscious. Yeah. And uh, I was unconscious for getting on for 24 hours, I think. I probably was 24 hours. Right. But I was moved back to this American hospital to start with. And then uh, I was moved on to Brussels and the British Legion were very, very good because I was so newly wed. Uh, they had offered, they thought I was going to die. I, I was marked up for, oh. I was marked up for going. Yeah. Um, and um, British Legion were going to uh, get the RF to fly my wife's out to say goodbye to me. Um, In the end, uh, I got flown back to Q-Stoke. Well, I actually got flown back to Breeze Norton, which is still a... In England. Yeah. uh, A big depot. Yeah. But then ambulance to Q-Stoke, which was uh, the Birmingham Saturday Fund Chest Hospital but it had been converted to a war chest hospital. Yes. And that was because I got, got all this in my... Chest injury, yeah. So I was in... It's near Western Supermare. Right. I was in Q-Stoke for a long time. But when I began to recover, I was asked if I'd like to um, be moved and uh, did I have a preference for a, an army hospital. Right. So I went back to Bagley. Oh. Oh, my wife was yes. living in Stockport. Yes, yeah. And so I went back to Bagley, um, <laughs> where I'd met my wife and yeah. where she was still living up there. Yeah. And so I went back to Bagley, took me up by ambulance from Kewstoke, and I weighed about seven stone. Yeah, oh gosh. And uh, Sister Ingram came out and said, Welcome back. Pick me up. <laughs> Carried me to the bed. Carried you in both arms to the bed. Yeah, yeah oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> so that's why yeah, I have she, such memories of yeah. Sister Ingram, oh, yeah. you see. And she so, recognised you then. She, so I, yeah. they dug a hole in my back and yeah. put a rubber tube in to drain my lung. And that was taken out once a week and cleaned and a little bit snipped off it and put back in again. And my wife, of course... Came and visited every day, and Sister Ingram wangled uh, that I could have a week's leave when it got to about June, a belated honeymoon. And we went down into Dorsetshire for... Dorset? Yeah, we went down to Dorset. Bournemouth? A few days. No, in a little country pub. Right. Out in the wilds. Where my son was conceived, to be honest. Oh, right. <laughs> I did wonder when, when your son was yeah, going to well, appear. It's, yeah, it's a honeymoon. Yes. And then uh, went back to the hospital, and um, I was still very poorly, and I got what they call hypostatic pneumonia, because I hadn't moved. Yes. I got my lung, uh, I got pneumonia, and uh, didn't come out of hospital then until about October. And then when I was, I was medical category B or C or something, um, I got appointed, I'd been made up to captain. I got appointed as adjutant to uh, German prisoner war camp. Ah, okay. And that was where I had my 3,000 prisoners. So you went in a lieutenant into hospital and you came out the captain, captain, is that right? right, yeah. Yeah. Yes. When I went to the... Bowton. Bowton, Northamptonshire, UK. To the, uh, it's called Wheatley Camp, actually, 259 POW Camp. Yeah. When I went, I had just over 2,000 prisoners in yeah. the camp, yeah. under, all, all tented, and I had 500 in a satellite camp and a couple of hundred in a hostel. The, the 200 in the hostel all worked at Corby Steelworks, oddly enough. Right. That's why they were in the hostel. When I left two years later, I rebuilt the camp to being a fully hutted camp with 3,000 prisoners yeah. uh, on hand. Surprised at that. It was a working camp, so uh, there, 
90% of them were supposed to go out to work. Yes. They worked on local farms, mostly. Yes. Um, but I had a choice of um, professions and builders and bricklayers and uh, carpenters. Yeah. yeah. A whole yeah. range to draw from, you see. Gosh. So I'd, I'd formed a couple of little working groups. Yes. Of German prisoners uh, who were retained in the camp. Yeah. And every time I heard there was a, an airfield or a military establishment closing down, mm-hmm. shipped my little gang of prisoners out, stripped out all the huts. <laughs> to nick stuff. <laughs> Some of them I had permission for. Yeah. Some I just moved in. And yeah. Just requisitioned what, help you, myself. Requisitioned what you needed. So yeah. but, uh, by the time I finished, we finished up by having... 2,000 prisoners in huts. We had uh, an aircraft hangar, a small aircraft hangar. It had only been a a biplane or something. It hadn't been a bomber thing. Uh, A small small aircraft hangar, which uh, converted to a camp theatre. And a little hutman, which I made into a camp chapel. I'd, I'd reckoned my job as adjutant was to get as many German prisoners re-educated yes. into um, democratic government yes, yes. as I could. I formed a camp parliament. Right. So each of the huts elected a member <laughs> and then they had a cabinet. Yeah. And uh, gradually... I was making the prisoners do the work of running me. Yes, yes. I, I had a yeah. couple of platoons of um, Labour Corps, but gradually I yeah. drew them away from doing anything in the camp and made the prisoners do it. The prisoners, yeah. I wonder if any of those prisoners went into politics after war, after the war. I, difficult to tell because yeah. I, I lost touch. Um, my big friend, um, my colonel was a very direct man. He... Uh, he liked the Nazi type. Uh, we, 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 we didn't have any officers, we yeah. only had other ranks. Yeah. But he liked the Nazi type Sergeant Major Blair. And he, he appointed one as the, uh, what we call the Lagerführer, the camp leader. Yeah. Um, I, on the other hand, appointed the uh, deputy camp leader, who was a more liberal. Right. And yeah. uh, we became quite good friends. And I became good friends with um, Gerhard Kasper, the uh, the artist. The artist, yeah. Uh, I I made it a point of visiting the camp, the prison side of the camp. Yeah. Because the camp was divided into two: prison side and the British side. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I made a point of touring the, the prison side of the camp every day. Right. Without fail. I learned to speak some German and I talked to German prisoners. They were all supposed to have been vetted by the uh, PID, Political Investigation Department of the War Office. Uh, And they were all supposed to be non-Nazi. Yes. Uh, We did get one or two infiltrators. Yeah. But it was very much a working camp. And so the relationships were were not difficult. Yeah. And uh, I made quite a few odd friends. I had a German batman who'd been a butcher in uh, civilian life. Oh. And when I shot a deer in the park, I <laughs> had a butcher on hand to, to give me a bit of help to grow like it and yeah. make it available for the mess. Um, I confessed that to the Duke of Bar- uh, Duke of Clue when we were down there. Did you? And he said, it's all right, I've already forgiven you. <laughs> he said, it wasn't you, it was those damned Americans. All oh, right. They had an American air unit on the other side of the park and they obliterated the deer herd that had inhabited the park. Right. I only ever shot one of them. <laughs> that, uh, oh, gosh. Anyway, that was uh, a bit of fun. Did, how um, many of them... Do you know how many stayed in England when it was all closed down? I only know of 
two for certain. Because when I came out of the army, yeah. I knew nothing. I, I left school at 17 and a half. Yeah. I was uh, trained for nothing other than soldiering and, and having been an adjutant. Yes. And I went to the um, labour office and said, you know, I'm looking for work. Yes. And uh, the bloke said, oh, well, what, what sort of line do you think you might be good at? And I said, well, look, I've done prison war camp for two years and, uh, yes. and I, I've been responsible for finances and, yes. um, and the admin of that. And so um, company secretaryship is the sort of thing I'd like to head for. Yes. You know, I believe I could uh, train for that. Yes. Oh, I said, oh, good, yes. He said, I'll fix you up with a shorthand typing course. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he was thinking of a, uh, he was thinking of a typist secretary. <laughs> so uh, my father-in-law then had gone back to Denmark. Yeah. And uh, had a good friend who ran a... Um, Printing positive uh, print paper producing company. Right. Um, they only had a little factory with two people working in it, but they had an American license, and they needed to do a lot of English correspondence. Yes. So they wanted an English correspondent. So I went to Denmark and uh, lived there for three years and worked for a firm called Ozelid, who made. This printing paper. I would imagine that made your wife happy then to go back to Denmark for three um, years. Well, she loved England. And we'd been there three years when uh, they said they, sorry, they couldn't give me a long extension to my working permit. So we came back to England and uh, I was very lucky. I went to the um, British Legion officers in London, and sitting behind the desk was a retired Major General, and we ran a rather good mess at the uh, POW camp, you see. If, uh, this particular General, if he was anywhere within 50 miles about, used to give us a call and say, any chance of giving me dinner? <laughs> so he used to come to dinner and go, yeah. my good friend. Yeah. We, uh, Gerhard Kasper, we had engaged, we had a Nissen hut, yeah. which we panelled with uh, plywood, which was our mess. And um, I got Gerhard Kasper to decorate it, and he bought, he'd drawn a frieze about four or five, five foot high, something like that. Yeah. Four or five foot high. It decorated the top and then the bottom, and then he put this frieze around. And he decorated the frieze, yeah. and there were little shrubs and courting couples. In particular, one of the things he'd done, which was very naughty, there was a bush, and there were two bare legs sticking out <laughs> from the bush, and the, yeah. the feet were like that. Yeah. Very obvious. <laughs> But it was. I'll have to censor that one, you know. But it was sort of. It was only about that size, so you had to look quite yeah. round. Yeah. And um, that used to cause a laugh from my hairdressers, particularly when we had the we had the Roman Catholic Bishop of Northampton. Oh right, yeah. For a guest, and his chaplain uh, thought I was a naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> Stanley's connections with the retired Major General working for the British Legion got him a job with Walls Ice Cream, uh, subsequently as a production manager with Bird's Eye Frozen Foods in Lower Stoft in England, and then later on to factory manager uh, for Bird's Eye at Grimsby and Hull. You're listening to the Fighting Through Podcast, episode 37, Captain Stanley Perry, part two. I can imagine your experience in the prisoner of war camp stood you in good stead. Yes, sir. it did. I'm sure it must have done. Yes, I guess I was the, the whole background. I, I had a decent 
junior education yes, because yeah. it was a very minor, it was a farmer's school really in Suffolk. Right. It was run by the Methodist Residential Board School called Colford. And um, I got a very decent education from yes, them. Yeah. Well, although I was only a scholarship boy. Um, or free place boy, I think we called them in those days. Right. But it did go to prove that uh, even in the 30s, the working class did have opportunities. Yes, yes. If you were able to take them and prepared to take them. Yeah. My father did the unthinkable when he was a, he was a factory labourer. We lived in a council house for two or three years. But he bought his own house. Wow. Paid paid three hundred and fifty <laughs> quid for it. Gosh. And he got a he got a hundred percent mortgage from the Oddfellows. Manchester yeah. Unity Order of Oddfellows. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it was in those days. And um, I used to have to take the rent every Saturday down to the <laughs> office. I'd get about a quid or thirty bob, something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was the mortgage, actually. Yes, yeah. So Dad bought his own house, which was quite unheard of. With yes, absolutely. Um, Dad eventually, he spent 40 years with British Sugar Corporation and finished up as a supervisor of stores. Right. But he was very much a labourer in my early days. Yes, yeah. And uh, But they were very devout uh, we lived at the church gate, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, that had led to my best friend being um, a titch-brit Mick Alderman, who was only five foot two. He and I joined up together. He, he was a friend for life. Right. He was five foot two? He was, he was five foot two. And he was in the tanks, was he? Yeah. So well, that, that would kind of... Well, it was rather funny, actually, because um, the... Um, Sorry, what, what was his name? Michael Britton. Michael Britton, right, okay. Michael Britton. We went and we went through all this for the Air Force, and then we met this um, kind of, and we decided we'd go to tanks. And they said to Michael, Your mate's accepted, he's all right. Yeah. But we can't accept you because you're only five foot one and a half. Yeah. And the minimum height is five foot two. Right. We went away, and Titch had a. <laughs> <laughs> we got home to the vicarage yeah. and he sent a telegram to the war office. What bloody nonsense is this? Five foot one and a half, too short for tanks. Surely little men are better in tanks than big men. Just a bit. <laughs> oh, gosh. He got a telegram back from the war office which said, no bloody nonsense. You are accepted. Report to Bovington next week. Oh, excellent. So he reported to Bovington a yeah. month before I did. Because yeah. there's a tank museum at Bovington, isn't there? There is now, yeah, yes. Yeah. It, it, it was, a, well, when I was there with the 58th, there were two other training regiments, 52nd and 53rd. Right. And uh, I actually got uh, an opportunity to crew a mother. Right. I don't know even. Mother was uh, a very early. She wasn't little. My, my wasn't my little boy Willie, who was the first tank, as I say. But mother was uh, the second tank to be built. Right. And they had her in the museum in Bovington. Ah, okay. And they needed to move her from bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. Yeah. When you're training, yeah. Uh, God, you dear. Right. Uh, in the, in the depot, and uh, you had guard bread, and you always had one more person called guard bread yes. than they actually needed. Yes. And when the orderly officer did the inspection, yep. he picked out what he called the stick man, and that was the best dressed soldier. My reward, I got stick man yeah. on this particular occasion, you always got a little reward of some sort, see? Yeah. My reward was that uh, they wanted somebody to go into the crew of yes. Mother yes. while they moved her uphill. Oh. And that was my reward. 
And that was you that moved Mother up the hill? I was presented with a fire extinguisher <laughs> and told to walk right. beside the exhaust. Yeah. And if it set light to anything on the way... Oh, so you weren't, so you weren't driving it. You were going to put, her out, put the fire out. If I actually it. got in it, of course, yeah. but... Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't. I wasn't in it when she moved. I, so when when would this have been? Possibly early forty two. Early forty two. Forty one, forty two. Okay. So anybody going to the Bovington Tank Museum today, is that tank still there? As far as I know, and yes. It's, and it's called Mother. It is called Mother. And is that the type of tank it was, or is it? Was that just a nickname for it? No, it was. Uh, it, I. You've seen pictures of the old-fashioned tank. Yeah, with great, had, a great, it's had a crew of about a dozen. It's whole track, isn't it? Is it with, is that the, what I'm with of? machine guns sticking out the side. Yeah, I can. I think I can. And yeah, the band up with uh, machine right. gun corps people. Yeah, who, who manned all the machine guns? So there'll be a little plaque on it. And then a driver and three fitters or something. Wow! Uh, it, it had a crew of. Getting on for a dozen. Oh, wow. And that, yes. was, the, that was the second tank built? I believe it was the second tank built. Second yeah. type. Built in Lincoln. Right. Oh, that's a nice little story for some... If anybody visits the Bovington Tank Museum, and I, and I know... So somebody who's crewed the tank? Well, I, yes, I know two of my listeners who are going to go to the Bovington Tank yeah. Museum. So well, if they can find Mother, they'll, they know I crewed her. They'll know you... Yeah. yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yes, Bovington is the centre of um, the Royal Tank Regiment base, and uh, in those days we had the Royal Armoured Corps. Yeah. And the Royal Armoured Corps had uh, a couple of hundred regiments in it. It was fiftieth uh, were um, the Durham Light Infantry Tank Battalion, with whom I had a brief spell between. As where I was based, waiting to go back to the regiment after I'd been wounded first time. Yeah. They looked very sideways at me because um, they'd never been in action. Okay. They'd been experimenting with infrared lighting for tanks. Yes. And, uh, inside them or inside them? No, uh, outside. For viewing out, yes. Yeah. For night vision. And your night yes. vision. Yeah. And they'd been based up near the Lake District or something, and, and they, 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 were, they were a bit more speech about not having been in, uh, not ever having been in action. Yeah. And they looked a bit sideways at yeah. we... Dad found that a bit, you know, when he was in um, Richmond, he'd been to Dunkirk and he, you know, he'd been seasoned. Yeah. And then he went to Richmond to cool his heels for, a, I don't know, a, yeah. a few, several months. And he, he sensed a little bit of... Uh, I don't know, I don't think resentment was the right word, but most of the people at Richmond at that point hadn't well, seen action, so, you know, there's a, a bit of a gap between them. I, uh, we did, we, we had this curious thing with them. They had um, an officer's pistol shoot competition. Right. For a little cop. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't a bad pistol shot. <laughs> I've yes. been trained at a place called Arisaig right. for a month. Yeah. Arisaig was a small arms training right. depot but for SAS. And I'd been trained at Arisaig for a month. Yeah. So uh, I was fairly decent pistol shot, you say. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a couple of bob in the kitty. Yeah. And, uh, we had this pistol shoot. I came first. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Another. Sherwood Rancher who was waiting to go back. He came second. <laughs> and then they came to present the trophies, you see, and said, well, we can't can't present it to you chaps because you're not in the DLI. Oh. And uh, I said, hang on. What about this bloody kitty? Give me my money back, yeah, yeah. Oh, stop, but you're probably the kitty. Yeah. I want the kitty. <laughs> So we finished up sharing the kitty between. <laughs> um, so we weren't. I mean, we, we were brash. We, um, we, we'd seen a lot of blood and guts. Yes, yeah. So. 
How, what was the closest you got to killing an enemy, or closest distance-wise? Because obviously, from what you've been saying, you did have some fairly close quarters. Well, the closest I did shoot a German at about three yards. Um, Pistol? And that was while I was in the tanks, and I did a little recce into this house. I, I was worried about passing a, a house that they could chuck bombs down from the, from the rick. window. Yes. And if you hadn't got your lids closed, you know, you might yes. be the recipient of a grenade. So right. uh, some, if we were going through a little narrow village or something with houses, I'd sometimes do a little foot recce. Right. And... Um, I, got, I went into this place, and there were three Germans sitting there. And I kicked the door open. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, "Handy hock" or something like that. Yes. And the first one with his hands up, I shot. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was why I brought up. <laughs> yeah. The one with his hands up first is the big danger. Oh, really? Because he's the quick reactor. Ah, uh, okay. And he's the one you shoot. And then the other two come quietly. And then the other two, uh, and so we took the other two prisoners. I did go into one where my earlier training had been handy as well. Went into a house, and there was a bottle of wine stood on the table. Right. And a glass beside it. And I always took my gunner with me on these things. He was a good lad. Yeah. He took my gunner with me. And he said, oh, look, he said, there's some wine behind me. Don't, don't touch that. <laughs> Looked underneath, and there was a nail. There'd been a hole drilled in there. Oh, gosh. And a nail on a spring. Yeah, yeah. And when the nail popped up, it got a little... Um, anti-personnel mine booby trap sticked under the booby trap so gosh it, we lifted the bottle up up came the nail yes and wow Sne sneaky so but to say with a bit of earlier earlier training I uh, you were ready for dis it dis well I was able to disable it without setting it off that was quite handy what was it like taking a prisoner? What was it, the feeling? Um, Did you feel anything or? I suppose if anything, you felt there's another couple of buggers out the way. Yeah, yeah. I, when I went, when I rejoined the regiment, um, uh, I had to go and get a new photograph taken for my um, identity card. Right. Because the other one was out of date or something, or I'd lost it or something. And, yeah. I, and I was sent down to Maastricht. Would you believe? Four places. To, to where? Maastricht. Right. And, in, in uh, is Maastricht in Belgium? Oh. It's on the Belgian Dutch border. Yeah, isn't it? okay, yes. And um, it's, it's a big bridge over the river. And it was manned up by American soldiers. And I'd been sent off in a jeep to go and get this damn photograph taken. And uh, a couple of um, robed priests, long black robes and funny right. little hats, right. had thumbed a lift off me. And uh, somehow I wasn't really quite happy. I... I uh, they were supposed to be Dutch um, Roman Catholic priests. Yeah. And uh, they were going down to Aachen, they said. Oh, I wasn't very happy. You know, it's on my Todd. I was on my own. So I drove into the middle of Maastricht Bridge, which was manned all the way up with American soldiers. And I drove into the middle of the bridge and I said, Get out. Uh, why? Uh, just get out for a minute. And they got out of my jeep and uh, I beckoned up a couple of the American soldiers and said, I'm oh, look at these. I'm not quite sure. 
Then we had a look, and one of them was wearing um, long boots. Right. And they were a couple of Germans who were dressed up as priests. Oh, gosh. Uh, escaped prisoners of war. Yeah. Dressed up as priests. Wow. And so I handed them over to the Americans, and uh, Stanley Christopherson got a little note from the American commander praising the um, astuteness of uh, one of his members. Yours truly. For uh, catching a couple of German prisoners. Oh, well done. But um, my gunner shot one. Um, we got three in a row, uh, and they were dressed up in um, priests' get up. As well. And uh, my gunner suddenly shot one. I said, Christ, what have you done? I said, Geneva Convention, they're prisoners of war. Oh, gosh. And he said, no, they're bloody not. I said, look at that. And again, he was wearing jackboots. And it was right, he was, uh, they were three Germans dressed up. Yes. But we always handed over, I mean, you couldn't bugger about too much. I, I did, um, on one occasion, uh, probably against the Geneva Convention, I made half a dozen walk, half a dozen on the walk in front of my tank. Yeah. I thought it might be mine. <laughs> <laughs> you thought the grounds might be mined. <laughs> so that they were acting as your temp- and, your sort of... Uh, I was, I was going to get rid of them. Right. Because, I mean, you couldn't mess about. You, uh, you, you handed over to the infantry or took them back to the squadron yeah. headquarters where they were properly peopled. Um, but on this occasion, I had this half dozen and I thought, don't like the look of that. Let the buggies walk over it. Um, so one wasn't Christian in those terms. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's been said a lot, um, kill or be killed. That's right. And if uh, you think there's a chance they're going to be sneaky and kill you, then... That's, uh, well, that's how you overcome that. I said the, the, the scars of killing a fellow man. Yeah. You, you had that in your mind, him or me. Mm. And you had to make bloody sure it was him first. Yes. Um, there, there were... I suppose they were acts of bravery by German soldiers. Um, you could take a little, a few prisoners, yes, and uh, hands up, and they put their hands up that way. And if you saw, if they were like that, yes, or like that, so if, if if the hand, if their palms were facing okay. you, that if was their okay. Palms were facing you. Yeah. If their palms weren't facing you. They might have a grenade in this hand. Yes. And uh, and it's not a natural way to hold your hand. No, it's not. With your palms behind. So you you became aware of those sorts yeah. of things yeah. and looked out for it. But otherwise, it was just a matter of get rid as quick as you could. Yes, yeah. Because they were in the way of a tank. Right. Infantry, of course, had different roles to play. Were you in the infantry at some point? No. No, no. I'm never in infantry. No. It's just um, the reason I'm asking you is that... I've oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is my British Tommy helmet I've got out. I brought this off either. It's 1938, so it is true. Okay. Oh, can I take a photograph? Oh, yeah, sure. Have you worn one like that? I've worn one yeah, like that, yeah. Oh, right. We used to... Uh, carry these slung on our gas bath containers. Oh, okay. So when, when would you have worn one of these? Um, theoretically in the tank. Right, okay, but you wouldn't... Um, and theoretically it saved you from getting shot in the head by a sniper. Yeah. But in practice, um, you've got a lot of face showing. You know, all this is, all this is there for the sniper. Exposed, yes, yeah. And, uh, I was lucky... Lucky for me, my sniper wasn't uh, quite good enough. He was about three or four inches out. Yes, yeah, on your arm, yeah. It was like that. Yeah. I got hit here. They were damned uncomfortable, actually. Were they? Mm. Mostly. 
against the rules, we wore berries. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I remember my squadron commander, Jackie Holman, on one occasion. Uh, the weather turned pretty foul about the middle of July, I think it was. It would be about the middle of July, I think. We got some pretty foul weather. Jackie Holman <laughs> went into action. This is your commander. With an umbrella. Yeah. Uh, he was my squadron commander. Yeah. <laughs> he went into action with an umbrella up. I wasn't getting rained on. <laughs> I can hardly hold the camera still. Well, that was Jackie Holman. He, was... he didn't get shot then. No, no, he uh, got away. Well, as I say, a lot of the time we went into action, head and shoulders showing, and just wearing a berry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, uh, Wadi Akira Dad was crossing an anti-tank ditch, and uh, in that vicinity there was a tank commander or somebody lying over the top of the turret, yeah. entrails everywhere, and it was a horrible sight. Yeah. But you were well, exposed my, at times, I guess. Uh, well, I'm talking about the Noiro. We, uh, we, we actually got the sniper who shot me, incidentally. Oh, did you? Yeah. He was up a poplar tree. Right. There was a little row of poplar trees. Right. And I said to me, come on. I reckon the bugger's up in one of them trees. Yeah. So we we raked up and down all poplar trees. Yeah. With machine gun fire. Yes. And all of a sudden, somebody popped out of one. Wow. And I'm sure he was the bloke who shot me, so he could have come up. So got, yes, absolutely. Yes. And... Uh, we were talking about the Spandau earlier. Yes. And I forgot, I didn't finish the story. In a, in a nutshell, Dad spotted a... Uh, a German hiding in some bushes with a Spandau. Yes. And so they took a patrol out and crept behind him. And then when they found him, he was already dead. He had a knife in his back. Good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 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 Good job, really, because he, if, he, if he'd been alive, he might have well shot them all. Yeah, he might well have had a go, mightn't he? Um, what's the... Uh, can you think of any... Well, you've already told me no end of funny moments, actually. But can, are there any other particularly funny incidents you can remember from your war days? Perhaps one of the funniest moments, when I joined the Sherwood Rangers, in my first troop, I had a couple of ex-Nottinghamshire uh, miners. And the Nottinghamshire miners had a curious thing they called backslang. Right. Backslang. Backslang. Yeah. And uh, it went something like this. Ude, uye, orte, akpe, angslay, which is, do you talk backslang? And you take the first letter of the word and put it at the back and add a to it. So do uh, becomes right. ude. Yeah. And you becomes uye. <laughs> and um, I had a couple of chaps in the tank who spoke backslang, and I thought they used to have a little chat, a little giggle, you know. Yeah. And I thought, you sods, you're talking about me, uh... but I can't understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be taking the mickey. Yeah. So very quietly, I found out what backslang was about. Yeah. And I learned how to translate it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were chatting one day, and I said, Warning me up, Shay! Are you all tag bang And the looks on their faces. <laughs> so, so Christ, what have we been saying? The old man talks back. So what, what did you just say to them then? In, in I, nothing. We just, I just left it as a joke. Oh, and, right. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. You were just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really mind. Um, I took this view um, very much not regular army. Yeah, yeah. My tank crew all called me Stan. Yeah. When we were sleeping under a bloody canvas sheet together, I was Stan. It would have made you quite close, wouldn't it, I guess? If yeah. we were on parade, it was a salute. Yeah. Or if we were standing outside the tank and somebody was nearby. Yes, yeah. It was a salute and they called me sir. Yeah. 
but when we were in the tank and um, they they called me by my Christian name, so uh, I suspect from whatever from whatever orders you gave them, they would respect them and well, that was it. Jump was, to it. Um, I, I think leadership is not about that sort of discipline. Leadership is about um, self-discipline for a start and about setting an example. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a matter of respect, yeah. but it's a two-way thing, respect. Yes, yes. Not just them respecting you, you've got to respect them. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, that was the way I... I think that's why I was happy and comfortable in factory life. Yeah. Um, how was it to come back when the war ended? And did it feel unrealistic? Um, or how did it feel? And did your view on humanity change after the war? Um, what was your overall feeling? Yes, first of all, coming back, I remember sitting on a bus and somebody let off a firework and I dived for cover. So uh, something stayed with me, but not for long. Yeah. Um, I was married. I had a son. I had to make a living somehow or other for a wife and family. Yeah. Um, so all the military doings were in the past and I had to look to a civilian future. Yeah and secure a career of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that? that's fine, yeah. That was a question from one of the listeners, a, a Swedish girl, Johanna. Oh, yes. And she's great. Um, I did love my time living in Denmark. Did you? Yeah. Yes. Nice people. Yeah. Lovely people. I think all the Scandinavians are a good, yes. good bunch. Um... I think I'm out of questions now, so all I'll say, in case, there might be something else you want to say in a minute, but just right now I will just say, on behalf of my, my listeners and, you know, the rest of the world, thank you very much, firstly, for your efforts during the war, and uh, secondly, for the time you've given me today, because it's really precious time as far as I'm concerned, Stanley, and uh, I'm really grateful, so thank you very much indeed. Now you can talk again. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, um, somehow one tends to feel a bit arrogant at times, uh, and then sometimes one feels quite humble. Yeah. And it humbles me now to have people thank me for what I did, because after all, what I did was just as a simple soldier... And it needed doing. Uh, there are lots of um, times people call you a hero. I was never ever a hero. I was always scared to death. Um, but I did the job I thought I was paid to do. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, this business of fluttering hero about the place, there were heroes. But war isn't heroic. War is awful. War is bitter. You shoot what might actually have been quite nice people with families like yours. But uh, that became a necessity with the uh, Nazi risk that existed in uh, in in the nineteen forties. You just had to. Uh... You had to take action, didn't you? We had There's to. No doubt about it, yeah. Um, not only... Uh, we, we had to for our own country because an invasion of Britain would have been next on Hitler's agenda. Yeah. But we had to for the sake of other innocent people, French, Belgians, Dutchmen, Czechoslovakians, Poles, who had been subjugated by Hitler and um, and the Nazi creed and uh, as we discovered perhaps a little later than we might have done 
the awful atrocities um, against the Jewish nation as a whole. And uh, they needed protecting. And that's why many of us, we weren't glory seekers, we weren't looking for a, 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 a comfortable bit of a flash of glory. We were um, honest and sincere about wanting to oppose Nazism yes, yes. and all the things that went with it. Well, having listened to you today, Stan, I, I can't help thinking you did a really good job to play your thorough part. So well done, that one, and I'll, I'll shake your hand. Thanks for that, yeah. Thanks, well. I, I've actually brought you a little present, which oh. is a copy of Dad's book. Oh, thank you. Do you oh, I, I, God. What's your eyesight like? I presume it's okay, because you haven't been wearing glasses. Fun? I've you got sign it for me? Yes, if you want me to, yeah. Yes, to. please. Is, is your eyesight okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I have a rule about um, exercise. Right. I, I'm not physically fit to do any exercise now, but I do the Times crossword puzzle every day. Well, I do the Times um, page on crosswords and pseudogoos and so on every day. Because I think it fights off dementia. Keeping your brain active. Keeping yeah. the brain active yeah, yeah. is important, I think. Yeah. One more thing I want to favour. I'm gradually getting these three copies of the book signed by people I meet. Oh, right. Because at some point they'll get auctioned for charity. Yeah. And it'll, if they've got all your famous signatures in, then it'll probably get more money. So, the people who've signed this one so far, there's Dan Lynn, who's the great-nephew of Dad's captain that was killed on the beach on D-Day. Oh, right. There's uh, Wilf Shaw, who's now passed away, sadly. Leslie Littlewood, who is a good friend of Wilf's. Oh, and Claude Reynolds is a, a friend of mine in Norfolk who was rear gunner in a Lancaster. Uh, so, I've interviewed him twice for the podcast. Yeah. So at some point I'm going to get my mum to sign, but for the time being, if you just sign it anywhere you like on that page. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to... Oh, I'll be waiting for a deserving cause. Wow. Well, we're not far from finishing now, and I'm going to end with a medley of Stan's best bits over the two episodes. And then we're going to go out with a flourish with a great PS. One final story from Stan, which I've kept behind. Um, having listened back to this meeting, I've made notes of all sorts of things I wished I'd asked Stan, but sadly there wasn't time. But if you do have any further questions for him in the event of a second meeting, do get in touch. To Stan's daughter Kathy, I must offer my thanks for your patient help in arranging this session. Really appreciated, Kathy, and my compliments on the current cake. For now, I want to finish by formally thanking Stan himself, Captain Stanley Perry of the Sherwood Rangers. You've entertained and enthralled us for well over three solid hours. We've heard the ups, the downs, the funny, the furious, the deadly, and the devastating. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for being such an entertaining sport in introducing the show and sharing your best and even some of your worst memories. How good was that? Thank you, Stan. Next episode. You know, I've been so busy getting these two last episodes prepared that I've scarcely had time to even think about the next episode. Um... But I know I've got good material for any of several. Uh, I can tell you it's either going to be another Dunkirk episode or the final meeting I had with the late veteran Wilf Shaw or a mystery soldier's diary I've come across. Last but not least is an historic recording from sailor Ray Fitchett who was sunk out in the Pacific. So there's lots coming up in the next few months. If you're following the Fighting Through page on Facebook or Twitter, I will be posting early notice of my final choice, together with some advanced material from the show. For now, thank you so much for listening. Please do hear me next time. 
Here's the medley featuring the very best of Stan. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I said uh, Andy Hawk or something like that. Yes. And the first one with his hands up, I shot. Kicked the door open, saw a movement, shot. And it went bing, 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 bing. And they were a couple of Germans who were dressed up as priests. We had this pistol shoot. I came first. <laughs> Surprise. Another Sherman rancher who was waiting to go back. He did second. <laughs> the leadership is about um, self-discipline for a start and about setting an example. Yeah. And uh, it's a matter of respect, but it's a two-way thing, respect. And they said if it hadn't been uh, decelerated by that photograph album, I should have been a goner. He is fears nothing, but never takes stupid risks. Right. Uh, well, that, uh, and I'm very proud of that. Keep taking the pills. Yeah. Keep taking it easy, and keep taking a wee tram every night. But Donna had painted A K I L L A. Morning, my Shay. I a old tag bang slay. P.S. I'd always been a bit of a linguist. Right. Um, my French was very good. That that had been helped by my SAS training because I'd I'd had a French um, in in my living on the land time. I'd had a French contact. I wasn't allowed to speak English. Right. So the French got well brushed up, and um, my squadron commander had a bloke came up and said jabbered something at him and um, Jackie Holman didn't speak French and he said what the hell is this bloke talking about and uh, I said well in short he's telling you that two of your soldiers have been to one of his cows and carved a stake <laughs> off the living cow out of their hindquarters Oh, 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 <laughs> We tracked it out. Right. It was two medics who'd seen a wounded cow. Yes. And it, it had got a, a, a shrapnel wound or something across its hindquarter. Yes. And the, um, it was beginning to mortify. Right. And they trimmed it up, yeah. and they put a dressing on it. Oh, I see. So they haven't pinched a couple of fillets from it. They were actually. Yeah. Uh, that, that was quite a fun moment. Oh, this is the Fighting Through podcast. I'm Stan Perry, and I'm saying bye bye now. <laughs> <laughs>